Chapter Twelve of The Fighting Shepherdess. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Bologna Times. The Fighting Shepherdess by Caroline Lockhart. Chapter Twelve, The Dude Wrangler. With his tongue in his cheek, literally, and perspiring like a blacksmith, Teeters sat at the table in the kitchen of the Scissor Ranch house, and by the flickering light of a candle in a lard can, wrote letters to the heads of the Vanderbilt and Astor families, to the president and those of his cabinet whose names he could remember. Briefly, but in a style that was intimate and slightly humorous, Teeters conveyed the information that he was starting a dude ranch, and if they were thinking of taking an outing the coming summer, they would be treated right at the scissor or have their money refunded. He guaranteed a first-class A-1 cook with a signed contract to wash his hands before breakfast, a good saddle horse for each guest, and plenty of bedding. He did not aim to handle over ten head of dudes to start with, so if they wanted to play safe, they had better answer upon receipt of his letter, he warned them, signing himself after deliberation, your friend, C. Teeters. I'll bet me I'll buy me some lamp chimbleys and heave out this palozer. A feller can't half see what he's doing, he grumbled, as he eyed a large blot on the envelope addressed to the president. The whole place, sourly, looks like a witty woman's outfit. Teeters hammered down the flaps with a vigor that made the unwashed dishes on the table rattle, and grinned as he pictured the astonishment of Major Stephen Douglas Prouty, who was still postmaster, when he read the names of the personages with whom he, Teeters, was in correspondence, after which he looked at the clock and saw that it was only seven. So he thrust his hands in the pockets of his overalls, and with his chair tilted against the wall at a comfortable angle, speculated as to his chances of success in the dude business. The more Teeters had thought of Mormon Joe's assertion that, outside of stock, the chief asset of the country was its climate and its scenery, the more he had come to believe that Joe's advice to turn the scissor outfit into a place for eastern tourists was valuable. It had been done elsewhere successfully, and there was no dearth of accommodations on the place, since there was nothing much to the ranch but the buildings, as Toomey had fenced and broken up only enough land to patent the homestead. Although Teeters was now the ostensible owner, in reality the place belonged to Huey Diston's father, who had been the heaviest loser in the cattle company. Huey had written Teeters that if they recovered from the reverse, and others that had come to them, they hoped to restock the range which was left to them, and he wished to spend at least a portion of the year there. In the meantime, it was for Teeters to do what he could with it. Dudes had seemed to be the answer to his problem. While making up his mind, he had not acted hastily. He had consulted the spirits with Mrs. Emmeline Taylor and her Ouija board as intermediary. Starlight had thought highly of the undertaking, and Mrs. Taylor, knowing that Miss Maggie's hope chest was full to overflowing, encouraged it. There had been a time when bankers, railroad, and other magnates had been in her dreams for her daughter, 
and a mere rancher like Teeters was unthinkable. But with the passing of the years, she had modified her ambitions somewhat. So she had said, benignly, patting his shoulder, The angels will look after you as they have after me. Don't be afraid, Clarence. It had occurred to Clarence that the not inconsiderable herd of Herefords Mr. Taylor had left behind him at Happy Wigwam might have had as much to do with Mrs. Taylor's feeling of security as the guardianship of the angels. But he answered merely, though somewhat cryptically, Even if I lose my money, it won't cost me nothing. I work for it. Teeters glanced at the clock, yawned as he saw that the hands pointed to half past seven, and unhooked his heels from the rung of the chair preparatory to retiring. A horse snorted, and the sound of hoofs on the frozen dooryard brought Teeters to attention. What honest person could be out jamming around this time of night? he wondered. In preparation for callers, he reached for his cartridge belt and holster that hung on a nail and laid them on the table. The door opened, and a stranger entered, blinking. The fringe of icicles hanging from his mustache looked like the contrivance to curtail the activities of cows given to breaking and entering. I seen you through the winter, he said apologetically. I heard your horse winter, Teeter replied, politely rising. This banana belt's getting colder every winter. The stranger broke off an icicle and laid it on the stove to hear it sizzle. I was just fixin' to turn in, Teeters hinted. Last night I didn't sleep good. I tossed and thrashed around until half past eight before I closed my eyes. I won't keep you up then. I come over on business. Bower's my name. I'm a workin' for Miss Prentice. I'm a sheep herder myself, by profession. Teeters received the announcement with equanimity, so he continued. Along about two o'clock this afternoon, I got an idea that nine knocked me over. I bedded my sheep early and took a chance on leaving them, seeing as it was on her account I wanted to talk to you. You're a friend of hern, ain't you? To the end of the road, Teeters replied soberly. Bowers nodded. So somebody told me, are you going to town anyway soon? Tomorrow? Good. Will you take a message to Lingle? Teeters assented. Tell him for me that the night of the murder there was an ornery, breed-looking fellow that smelt like a piece of engine tan buckskin a-settin' in Doc Fussell's drug store. He acted uneasy, as I come to think it over, and he went out just before the killin'. I never thought of it at the time, but he might have been the feller that done it. I'll tell Lingle, but I don't think there's anything in it. Why? Teeter's eyes narrowed. Because I know where the gun come from. Bowers looked his astonishment. I'd swear to that gun stock on a stack of Bibles. Teeter's continued. It was swelled from laying in water, and a blacksmith riveted it. The blacksmith died last summer, or by now we'd uh, had his affidavit. Ain't that sickening? Bowers referred to the exasperating demise of the blacksmith. Anyway, Lingle's working like a horse on the case, and I think he'll clear it up directly. How's she standing it? Like a soldier. She's got sand. She's made of it, laconically, and I aims to stay by her. Teeters hesitated, 
then for the first time in his life he gave his hand to a sheep herder and at parting as further evidence that the cast line was down between them said heartily come over next sunday and eat with me i got six or eight cackleberries i've been saving for something special thanks eggs is my favorite fruit bowers replied appreciatively the next day teeters went into the post office at prouty with more letters than he had written in all his life together the major was at the window perspiring under the verbal attack of a highly incensed lady a deeply interested listener teeters gathered that the postmaster's faulty orthography was to blame for the contumely heaped upon him in vain the major protested his innocence of any malicious intent when after hearing a rumor to the effect that the lady had died during an absence from prouty he wrote diseased upon a letter addressed to her and returned it to the sender i'm going to see you for libel was her parting shot at him black as not she'll do it said the major despondently and added with bitterness i wished i'd died before i got this post office teeters he continued impressively let me tell you something anybody can get a post office by writing a postal card to washington but men have gone down to their graves trying to get rid of em the only sure way is to heave em into the street and jump out of the country before sundown and daylight i've met fellers hiding in the mountains that i used to think was fugitive murderers they had all the earmarks but now i know better they was runnin away from third and fourth class post offices if ever you're tempted remember what i've told you anything i can do for you teeters teeters threw out his mail carelessly just weigh up them letters will you the name of the head of the astor family caught the postmaster's eyes and he looked with astonishment i'm expecting him out next summer teeters said casually you don't say with a mixture of respect and skepticism visiting not exactly visiting he'll pay for staying i'm telling you private that i'm going to wrangle dudes next season i made him a good proposition and i think it'll catch him it would be a good ad for the country said the major thoughtfully but wouldn't you be afraid he'd get lonesome out there with nobody passing i've thought over this considerable teeters lowered his voice and a figure that the secret of handling dudes is to keep em busy i've been around em a whole lot off and on over on the yellowstone and i've noticed that the best way to get anything done is to tell em not to touch it and then go off and leave em of course an out-and-out -out dude is a terrible nuisance and dangerous but you got to charge enough to cover the damage he does trying to be wild and woolly he went on confidentially between you and me I've worked out a scale of prices for allowing them to help me. So much for digging post holes and stretching wire, so much for shingling a roof or grubbing sagebrush. Only the very wealthy can afford to drive a wagon and spread fertilizer or clean out the corral and cowshed, and it'll take a bank account to pitch alfalfa in haying. If they thought I wanted them to help or needed them, they'd laugh at me. Dudes is peculiar the major admitted i never had much truck with them but i knowed a feller in the jackson hole county that made quite a stake out of dudin 
They took him to Warm Springs afterward. He'd weaken his mind answering questions. But he left his family well provided for. Teeters, earnestly. Why don't you put your money in something substantial? Stock in the ditch company or Prouty Real Estate? Teeters shook his head. Without aiming to toot my horn none, I got a notion I can wrangle dudes to a fair ye will. I'll give it a tryout, anyway. By the way, Major, have you seen Lingle? How's the case coming? The Major's face changed instantly, and he said with quite obvious sarcasm, He's busier than a man killing rattlesnakes, and he's making himself unpopular. I can tell you, trying to stir up something. Teeters looked at him wonderingly, but said nothing. Instead, he went out in search of the deputy. Lingle was sitting dejectedly on the edge of the sidewalk when Teeters found him, and the deputy returned his spicy greeting dispiritedly. You look bilious as a cat, said Teeters, eyeing him. Why don't you take something? You bet I'm bilious. The world looks plumb jaundiced, the deputy answered with feeling. What's the matter? Teeter sobered in sudden anxiety. Ain't the case? A frown grew between the deputy's eyebrows. The case is getting nowhere. Things don't look right, and I can't exactly put my finger on it. What do you mean, Lingle? Quickly. I think that people are acting curious. Them sports inside, he jerked his thumb at the boosters club behind him, and the authorities. How do you mean, curious? Don't show any interest. Throw a wet blanket over everything, as if they wanted to discourage me. I'm not sure that they're not trying to block me. But why would they? Teeters looked incredulous. Lingle shrugged a shoulder. I don't know yet, but I've got my own opinion. But you won't lay down, Teeters pleaded, even if they pull against you? Not to notice, the deputy replied grimly. End of chapter 12